My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. that art can change the world. I continue to believe it. It has just rocked me. It has changed me, body and soul, a powerful piece of artwork. I think art can communicate more directly, more forcefully, more profoundly, complex ideas, troubling ideas. And I think we can use that power to create the kind of world we want to live in. That's the voice of Shauna Dempsey. She's today's guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Shauna Dempsey is a performance and video artist who got her start as a university student in the 1980s. She was heavily influenced by the work of feminist performance artists of the previous decade and their use of the female body to talk about the realities that women face. She first became widely known for a performance art piece and later film called We're Talking Vulva. She and longtime collaborator Laurie Milan have produced films, installations, a book, public art pieces, the lesbian national parks and services, and lots of other work, much of which they describe as, quote, humorous, feminist, and provocative, end quote. Dempsey is also the co-executive director of Mentoring Artists for Women's Art, or MAWA. MAWA is a feminist, artist-run center in Winnipeg. It was founded by two working-class women in 1984, as a response to the many gendered barriers faced by women in the arts. In that era, according to Dempsey, women had less access to the limited number of well-paying jobs in the field, received fewer grants, were shown less often in galleries at all levels, experienced a substantial wage gap related to sale of their art as well as other income streams, and were generally given less attention in critical and popular discourse about art. Originally founded as a committee within a gallery, eventually MAWA became an independent organization. Over time, in conjunction with shifts in the broader feminist movement, Mawa's understandings of gender oppression and feminism became explicitly more expansive, and today all of their programming welcomes non-binary, trans, and two-spirit participants. In addition, over half of what they offer welcomes cisgender men as well. Mawa took up mentorship as its primary tool for challenging the barriers in the arts resulting from gender oppression. The organization's core program matches senior and emerging artists, and over the course of one year, they meet both one-on-one and as part of a larger group, giving the mentees the opportunity to gain all kinds of knowledge and skills relevant to being a working artist. Along with their full-year mentorship program, they also provide mentorship in a number of other ways. A rural arts mentorship program, various short-term mentorships, and also a new, tailored approach to mentorship developed during the restrictive conditions of the COVID-19 pandemic. As well, they offer a range of other programming, including exhibitions, lectures about history and criticism, critical discussion nights, artist talks, and both hands-on art-making workshops and workshops in professional practices. They're involved in creating educational tools for use in arts classrooms. Their space in downtown Winnipeg serves as a gallery, as a meeting space for their own programming, and as a community space. 
and they also have their own feminist art resource library. Beyond their various mentorship programs, Mawa's feminist commitments show up in lots of different ways in their programming. For instance, after a critical reading group on feminist art history held at Mawa realized how few texts existed in that area that were either Canadian or recent, let alone both, the Center embarked on a project that resulted in a textbook about contemporary feminist art that is now used in universities across the country. Or in 2018, they worked with curator Leanne Martin on a project that brought 50 Indigenous women's images to both billboards across the country and education resources for use in elementary and secondary classrooms. According to Dempsey, some things have changed in the art world since the 1980s. Granting, for instance, largely happens equitably along gender lines these days, as do exhibitions in many contexts at local levels. But many other barriers persist, often with more severe impacts at more senior levels. For instance, women and other gender-oppressed artists are less often exhibited, especially in solo shows, at regional galleries and the National Gallery of Canada. And things like sale price for art and overall income, access to tenure-track positions, and critical attention remain imbalanced. Dempsey said, quote, the feminist project continues, end quote. I speak with Dempsey about feminism, art, and the work of Mawa. My name is Shauna Dempsey. I'm a performance and video artist. I work in all sorts of media. I'm also co-executive director of Mawa, Mentoring Artists for Women's Art in Winnipeg. And Mawa is an art education organization that was founded in 1984 dedicated to sharing knowledge with respect to the visual arts. I began making art like so many other people in university. I mean, I guess I could say I've been an artist my whole life, but it was while I was in university that I was exposed to performance art for the first time. And with the confidence of youth, I thought, I can do that. And I started making performances. I was very inspired by the feminist performance artists of the 1970s who used the female body to talk about the conditions of the female body. And in many ways, my work is an extension of that thematic. But I was also in Toronto, and Toronto had an amazing culture of sort of fast, feminist, funny cabaret performance during the 80s. My day job, after I got out of school, was to work in theater as a technician. And so I was able to work with a lot of artists across performance disciplines who were using performance and comedy, again, to further their feminist politic. So off I went to, wasn't my studio because it was Toronto, off I went to my living room <laughs> to make art. And one of the first pieces that I became really well known for is called We're Talking Vulva. A friend of mine was getting bladder infections. She didn't understand why. And I realized in talking to her, she didn't have an understanding of her basic genital anatomy. And that's not surprising because of all the shame that's associated with that part of the woman's body. So I made a giant vulva suit, and I stepped into it, and I created a sort of vulva infomercial. I made it rhyme, so it would be more interesting to listen to, and rap was actually new then, and I was inspired by that. And I performed We're Talking Vulva. And the first time I did, the audience erupted in laughter. It was like a tsunami of response. Because I was 
talking about and I was showing this part of ourselves that we've always been told to keep hidden, that's dirty, that's sexualized and not for our own pleasure. So it was a very successful piece in a lot of ways and it toured across Canada and then I began working with my collaborator, Laurie Milan, and we made it into a film and then that blew up. It aired on television in Canada and in Europe and we were in an international Biennale with the piece. So I, I used to say I didn't think I'd ever escape the shadow of my vulva, but Laurie and I have gone on to make other work since all of it rooted in our experience as women, as lesbians, as feminists, and also citizens in this world that has a lot to talk about. I know you weren't involved in the organization then, but what can you tell listeners about the origins of MAWA way back in 1984? A couple of women who worked at the University of Manitoba School of Art and tried and tried and tried to get tenure and were never able to, realized that there were systemic barriers in place at that time to women advancing professionally in the visual arts. And they were both working class, one from Northern England and one from Pittsburgh. They both had strong union backgrounds. And they thought about the ways in which the lives of their family were improved and the ways in which the union created opportunities for the people in their families. And they struck upon the idea of mentorship, of peer-to-peer sharing, so that all women artists don't have to reinvent the wheel every time they step up to the plate to mix a few metaphors. That by skill sharing, we can make our world fairer, more equitable, and raise each other up. So mentorship and skill sharing is really the foundation of MAWA that we don't need to hoard information, we don't need to hoard what we know, that by sharing what we know, we build a stronger community. And that helps everyone. Now, MAWA was founded at a specific point in time to address gender inequalities. And since that time, MAWA has expanded its mandate to include all gender minorities. So we advocate for non-binary people, trans people, as well as women artists. What sorts of barriers were women facing in the arts back in the 1980s? Specifically in the academy, women were often hired as sessional instructors, but not as tenured professors. And when we look at the data, that gender disproportion continues to this day. So the secure, well-paying jobs have traditionally gone to male artists or the male genius, (laughs) as opposed to women artists, or now women trans and non-binary artists. By other metrics, exhibitions, at the time, women were not being shown in galleries right across the board in Canada at 50%, at gender parity. That has since changed in the artist-run centre milieu, But as one looks at regional galleries and the National Gallery of Canada, that is galleries with higher artist fees and more prestige, the percentage of gender minorities being exhibited, especially in solo shows, drops. When we look at the sale price of artworks, the amount of money that artists can make off their work, again, a lot of the big ticket sale items are being bought from male artists so that there's a wage gap there. 
And when Statistics Canada evaluates how much money Canadian artists are making, there is also a wage gap for all of us at all levels of our career between men and gender minority artists. And what can you say about the process the founders went through to turn this idea into an organization? And what exactly is MAWA, the organization that they created? In the beginning, MAWA was the women's community of plug-in gallery. It was kind of like a committee of plug-in. And they were tasked with solving gender inequality. And they thought they could do it in 10 years, (laughs) which is awesome. So the very first thing they did was start the first mentorship program. And that is a program, the foundation mentorship program at MAWA, that has continued unabated for the past 37 years. So they hired senior artists, and they paired them up with emerging artists and let them work together one-on-one for a year. In terms of how that evolved into what MAWA is today, eventually MAWA developed its own constitution, got its own not-for-profit status, separated from plug-in. It was a very amiable separation and is now an artist-run center in Winnipeg, providing a whole range of programming and services to visual artists in Manitoba, although we also do some programs that have national impact as well. How does MAWA's mentorship component work, and why is it such an important intervention? Mentorship really informs everything that MAWA does, this idea of horizontal skill sharing. We've seen it be really transformative in individual artists' lives, but also in the community, creating an ethic of sharing. The way our program works, our year-long program works, is that senior artists and emerging artists are paired and work together four hours a month, one-on-one, as well as coming together with the other mentors and mentees for group meetings every month. So a community is formed in that way, a little micro-community. But there's also quite intensive discussions between the mentor and the mentee regarding what are your goals? What's your plan for advancing your goals? Where is your work at? Where do you want your work to be at? How can we help you get your work there? What are some of the professional skills you need to have to navigate the art world? What are some of the contacts you need to make the connections to move your practice forward? So it really is an intensive, I don't want to say master class, not even downloading of the brain, but one-on-one help for the emerging artist to achieve what they want, break it down into pieces, and get the skills and the contacts required to do so. To date, 292 people have graduated from MAWA's Foundation Mentorship Program. We also have a Rural Arts Mentorship Program in collaboration with Manitoba Arts Network that has served another 100 artists. We have done many different short-term mentorships in different configurations, usually about three months in length and focused on a particular medium or thematic, and that has served another 50 artists. And recently, during the pandemic, we developed very focused, tailored mentorships called one-on-one mentorships, wherein an emerging artist can select their mentor, approach their mentor, and pay their mentor to work with them for six hours. So, as I say, very focused. And that program has been very successful because it is so tailored, and the mentee is selecting their mentor. 
And we've had, I think, about 30 people come through that program to date. What other programming does MAWA offer? MAWA also offers programs for artists at all stages of their careers, including lectures about history and criticism, exhibitions of contemporary art. We create publications about visual art. We create art education learning tools that put contemporary visual art in the classroom. We have workshops and professional practices, things like grant writing, bios, artist statements, how to illustrate for the commercial market, etc. We have a beading circle that meets every two weeks with instructors from different beading histories with different beading practices. We have hands-on art-making workshops. We have critical discussion nights around a particular text or theme. We do special events, artist talks. We have an artist-in-residence program that welcomes artists from all over the world for five months of the year. We also do a residency exchange program with an organization in Sweden. Mao is located in the very heart of Winnipeg in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Canada. We've got a storefront, and our space is used probably a minimum three times a week by different programs, different groups, folks meeting here. We have a gallery space. We have a feminist art resource library. We've got a residency apartment upstairs, and we've got office space. And so maybe on a Monday night, the beating circle will be meeting Then maybe on a Tuesday night, there'll be a making workshop. On a Wednesday night, a board meeting. On a Thursday night, an artist boot camp workshop. And on Friday, a first Friday lecture. We bring a lot of people to the neighborhood, and we welcome people from this geographical neighborhood as well. Dive into a couple of instances of MAWA's non-mentorship programming in more detail to illustrate the ways in which they advance the organization's feminist vision. There's a couple of examples of how what MAWA does advances gender equality. Like, for example, we had a critical reading group about feminist art history, and participants were shocked that none of the texts were Canadian and none of the texts were recent. So MAWA fundraised and hired an editor, Heather Davis, to create basically a textbook about contemporary visual feminist art in Canada. It's called Desire Change. It was co-published with McGill Queen's University Press, and it's used in universities now across the country. Another is the Resilience Project. We wanted to really showcase women's art, like have it writ large on the landscape. And so Mawa worked with curator Leanne Martin, who curated an exhibition of 50 Indigenous women's images on billboards across Canada in the summer of 2018. So people on summer road trips could look out of their windows and instead of seeing a McDonald's ad, could see a powerful image by Rebecca Belmore on highways and in inner cities, places where too many Indigenous women have been erased, have been disappeared. And then we took those 50 images and, with a team of art educators, created a very user-friendly guide for teachers, kindergarten to grade 12, about how to use these same 50 art images in the classroom. 
to animate discussion, to inspire art activities, and to look at Indigenous perspectives, histories on this land. You mentioned earlier that Mawa's vision became more expansive over the years. In terms of explicitly including gender-oppressed people beyond cisgender women, and in terms of racial justice, how did that journey of change happen? Mao has evolved as the world around us has evolved, and the issues of the day have been brought to the fore. Mao has always been concerned about equality, and our feminism has always been intersectional and has realized that until we are all free, none of us are free. When we moved to this current space we're in on Main Street, which is a predominantly Indigenous neighborhood, we realized we had a lot of work to do in terms of creating connections with Indigenous communities, working in partnership with Indigenous communities. And that work began in 2004. Since the TRC recommendations came out, we've been working hard on active reconciliation We are very aware of how the city has changed. We have many, many more people of color living in Winnipeg than what we did when Maua was founded. And in order to be relevant, Maua has to reflect and serve the entire community. So for the past five years, over half of the program leaders we've hired have been BIPOC, which helps to create a more welcoming, inclusive environment at Maua and also gives opportunities to people who might not have opportunities elsewhere. We have prioritized hiring recent newcomers at MAWA, and as feminists, we know that the feminist discourse has changed, and the language around gender has changed, and the expression of gender has changed. So with that societal change, MAWA has changed as well to understand that it's not only cis women who are oppressed by patriarchy. And indeed, we are all oppressed by patriarchy. So over half of Maui programs welcome people of all genders, including cis men. How have the barriers that cisgender women and other gender-oppressed people face in the arts changed in the years that Mawa has been around? It's a great question. Like, what has changed? Where do barriers stubbornly remain? We've seen in granting, for example, there is now equity, and that wasn't the case when Maui was founded. So if we all apply for arts grants, there is essentially a gender equal distribution of successful applicants, which is awesome. Again, to reiterate, as one moves up in one's career, there does seem to be more barriers. For instance, the number of solo shows for cis men artists at the National Gallery of Canada, to use one example, versus women and other gender-marginalized people. It's still disproportionate. Sale prices, tenure-track positions within universities, within art schools, even publishing, like the number of monographs or books about a singular art career. There's many more about male artists than women and gender minority artists. So those are the ongoing barriers we see, the wage gap between the average of all male artists and all women and gender minority artists still exists. And the wage gap is the same as in the rest of society. So the arts are actually no different. We are part of the larger community. So the feminist project continues 
to create equality for all people. And I think, honestly, one of the biggest barriers that people who are raising children face is the lack of support for that activity and the labor of child rearing traditionally and continues to be put predominantly on women. And that takes time out of women artists' careers, that takes resources, and there are also biases against parenting artists. When you look specifically at young artists and their orientation towards and understanding of these barriers, how has that changed over the last few decades? I think when I was a young person, I thought, there's no barrier I cannot overcome. (laughs) And I felt that through my hard work and determination, I could create equal opportunity for myself. And I think that's an attitude that every generation of young person may embody, that I'm different or that my generation is different. And often one needs more lived experience to begin to really experience the systemic barriers, the sort of baked-in roadblocks that confound oppressed peoples of all identities. That no matter how good I am, no matter how hard I work, the systems of history and repetition and hegemony are very entrenched and I don't like to say immovable because I think collectively we are moving them, but I know I as a young person didn't realize their power. And I think often young people today haven't experienced the perniciousness of oppression of all kinds. And maybe a degree of newness on the scene gives them energy. And the young are always the ones who are leading change through that energy, through that drive. So we need to honor that energy and support that energy towards making change. I think sometimes as we get older, it's easy to feel fatalistic or defeated, and that's not useful. Thinking back on your own practice as an artist and the practices of the many artists that you've worked with over the years in the context of Mawa, what can you say about the ways in which art, and in this context, I guess specifically feminist art, can itself be an important intervention in the world? I've always believed that art can change the world. I continue to believe it. The power of image, the power of metaphor, it has just rocked me. It has changed me, body and soul, a powerful piece of artwork. I think art can communicate more directly, more forcefully, more profoundly, complex ideas, troubling ideas. Art is a medium that has always been policed by fascist systems. Revolutions have been led by artists and artists' images and Artists and art images have often been censored during times of repression because they are so powerful. And I think we can use that power to create the kind of world we want to live in. You have been listening to my interview with Shauna Dempsey, performance artist and co-executive director of Mentoring Artists for Women's Art. To learn more about the organization, go to mawa.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to TalkingRadical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.